on Tuesday as everyone was getting over the storm that came through here the day before. Uh, I took my mom to the airport, she went back home to Oklahoma, and then I was coming back this way and I was driving up I-85 and there was an accident on the highway in front of us. It was probably caused by the wet road conditions because it was raining all day and there was still some, some stuff on the road. And so I drove through the aftermath of that wreck. And as I did so, I got a small piece of metal stuck in my back tire. Okay? I, yeah, feel bad for me. You should. This is good. Okay, five minutes later, uh, my pressure sensor is screaming at me that I have no air pressure in the driver's side rear tire. Okay, everyone loves getting a flat tire, right? Especially when it's raining, which is when they always seem to happen. All right, now, there are two ways that you can look at my flat tire. Right, way number one, it's awful. Right? It's awful that I had to get a new tire after only having put a few thousand miles on the old tire. Okay? It's awful that I had to spend money that I really didn't want to spend on a new tire. It's also awful that it took me well over an hour to get a new tire put on my car, and I had to do that on a day when I really didn't have an hour to burn. I had to squeeze that in. It made the rest of my day really tight. It's a horrible inconvenience. There's absolutely nothing good that comes from having a flat tire, right? Is everything that I just said absolutely 100% true? Yes. All right. But there is another way to look at it, right? There's another way that you could perceive my flat tire on Tuesday, right? Whenever I found out that I had a flat tire, when the pressure sensor started screaming at me, it's as we were stopping to pick up a couple of things at Costco, Okay, so I pull into a parking spot, realize I have a flat tire, I go out, look at the tire, it's just hissing air, I see a big chunk of metal sticking out of it, and then I look up and I see there's Costco's tire center right in front of me. Okay? Even though it was raining outside, I didn't even have to put the spare on by myself, right? They took care of it for me. Right, also, even though I ended up needing a new tire, out of all of the billions of dollars worth of damage that the hurricane caused, my cost was only the cost of a new tire. Am I really going to complain about it? Right? Okay, also, even though it was an unexpected expense in our budget for the month, okay, we had the money in our savings account, right? It's not really that big of a setback to us in life. You pay the money and you move on, unlike a lot of other families who they might not have that extra money sitting there ready to go, right? Right, so another way of looking at my tire is I am incredibly blessed. Right? Now, is that true? Absolutely. Okay, and it's certainly a better way to look at it, right? Now, which one of those two things is true? Both of them are, right? Okay, and my illustration this morning may not be perfect, but my point is you can look at something from a couple of different perspectives and have both of those things be absolutely true. It would be a false choice to ask you which one of them is true because they're both true. A flat tire is a negative thing, but I am also extremely blessed. Right, I tell you that because in the second half of James chapter 2, James will talk to us about how your faith and your actions work together. Okay, what is the relationship between what you believe, which is your faith, and the way you live your life, what you do, your actions? How do those things work together? 
Okay? And more ink has been spilled over this section of James than any other because a large number of people have gone over to places like Romans, like what we just read in our scripture reading this morning, and they read what Paul says about faith and how you act, and then they go over and they read James where he says how you have faith and how you act, and they say, ah, they both say something different, therefore one of them has to be wrong. Usually we pick James as the one that we think should be wrong. Okay? I think it's a false choice. Right? I think both of them can talk about faith and actions, say different things, but both be saying things that are extremely true and important. All right, we talked about Romans uh, several months ago. We preached through that, and we talked about what Paul says about faith and actions. And here's Paul's basic argument summed up in one sentence. Okay, So you didn't need the months of sermon series, because here's what he says. Right, Paul says... You cannot be good enough to earn your way to salvation, right? You can't be holy enough on your own. You will never be righteous enough. You will never be a good enough person. You'll never help enough ladies across the street or pick up enough trash on the highway. You can never do enough good things to earn your way into salvation. So aren't you glad that Jesus was, right? You're saved not by you. You're saved by Jesus, All right, I think that's absolutely true. I think it is also true what James will say to us. He says, if you really believe in Jesus, if you really have faith, if you have decided I'm going to be a disciple and follow after Jesus, then that's going to change the things that you do. You don't have to pick between Paul and James. You can't be saved by your actions, but your faith is going to change your actions. And it's really not any more complicated than that. Fair enough? All right. Notice what James says starting in verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I think part of our problem when we go to a scripture like this, part of the problem that James is addressing, part of the problem that we struggle with also, is that we're often asking the wrong question. A lot of times what we're doing 
when we approach God as we ask the wrong question. I think much of what Scripture is doing is rather than answering all the questions that we have, Scripture is giving us better questions and then answering those questions. Right? Here's what I mean. Uh, my mom was here this last week, so I'll use her as an example. Right, so here's my question. What is the minimum threshold that I have to meet in order to keep a good relationship with my mother? Do I have to send her a card every birthday? Okay, do I have to call her on every holiday? Okay, what's the minimum number of times that I need to call my mother in order to have a good relationship with her? What's the minimum number of times that I need to see her every year in order to keep a good relationship with her? Okay, what's the minimum amount of attention that I need to give to my mom in order for us to have a good relationship. Right now, imagine that I asked those questions to my mom. Imagine that I came to her and said, okay, mom, I'm interested in putting in the minimum amount of effort into our relationship, so why don't you tell me what that is, whatever that threshold is, and then I'll meet it. Okay? Now, my mom is not usually given to violence, but in that situation, she might be. Why? Because it's a terrible question. Okay? It's the wrong question. If I love my mother, then that's the terrible question to ask. Because if I love my mother, I'm not interested in doing whatever the minimum is. I'm interested in pursuing a relationship with her. All right, I think part of our problem, I think part of the problem that James is addressing in this text, is we ask the same question to God. We say, God, what's the threshold that I have to meet in order to be in a good relationship with you? Hey, God, what's the minimum that I have to do in order to be saved? Okay, so, if you say I'm saved by faith and not by living a perfect life, that's great because I'm not living a perfect life. So does that mean that all I have to do is believe all of the right stuff about Jesus? And then if I do that, if I just have this right set of beliefs, then God is going to be happy with me. Okay, in that case... I can go to church on Sunday, I can say the right prayers, I can hold all the right beliefs and believe all of the right things, and then come Monday, it doesn't really matter what I do, because I've done the minimum, and therefore, God, you should be happy with me, because I'm saved by grace through faith. Okay? And if we believe that baptism is the ritual that, just like a marriage ceremony, puts us into this relationship with God... Okay, then if I've been baptized, is that my minimum threshold that I needed to do so that now I can have my salvation and I can be with God for all of eternity, right? What is the minimum that I have to do to be in a right relationship with God? And I think James is screaming at us in this text, saying that's the wrong question. If you're asking that question, then you never really understood what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. The Bible isn't interested in answering that question. If you approach God asking, what's the minimum I need to do, then you've un you have misunderstood following Jesus. I think the right question is, who was I created to be? I think that's a lot better question. I think the Bible spends a whole lot of time answering that question. You were created to be a holy nation. You were created to be a royal priesthood. 
You were created to bear the image of God Almighty Himself to a broken world. You were created to be salt and light. The question is, how can I live the life that God has made for me? It's about choosing life over death. It's never been about figuring out where is the line. And so James is telling us, you think that faith is the one end-all, be-all. If faith hasn't changed your life, then you haven't got a whole lot of faith to begin with. All right, I think this flows into number two, if you're taking notes. And this is, is the Captain Obvious point for the morning. Okay, number two is believing all the right stuff doesn't make you holy. Okay, just believing all the right stuff does not make you holy. You know, once upon a time, I was listening to a football announcer, and they were talking about a game that was getting ready to be played, and they were talking about all the different things that could happen in this upcoming football game. And this football announcer literally said, he said, I think what it's really going to come down to today is which team can score more points. Like, you get paid to say that kind of stuff, right? Like, really? That's how they're deciding these things now. Good to know. All right, and that got me thinking, what are some other unnecessary things? Okay, what are some other unnecessary announcements, uh, unnecessary things to say because they're just so obvious? And so for your pleasure, I've come up with seven unnecessary, unnecessary labels I found on the internet, which I thought, this is so obvious, it's completely unnecessary to say. Uh, but apparently we needed to say it. All right, so here's, here's your first one, uh, and that is caution. Do not iron while wearing shirt. Good to know. Number next, uh, press the up button for up and the down button for down. If we didn't have a label, how would we know? I love this one at the pool. Do not breathe under the water. It's good to know, Okay. On a hanger, do not swallow. Okay, and I love there's a picture on there of the guy. You don't want to do that. If any of you were tempted, don't swallow the hanger. All right, I love this one. On a bag of peanuts, the contents, ingredients, 100% peanuts. And then there's the allergy warning, may contain peanuts. It might. Okay, that's a possibility. All right. This one, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. It's a bad idea. Okay, and here's my favorite one, the last one. Uh, it's not a pair of pants. Remove child before washing. Okay. All right. My point number two this morning is so obvious that you don't need me to tell this to you. Okay, but then we look at the way that we often live our lives and we realize, yeah, we do need the warning. Okay, you can have all of the right beliefs. Okay, and that's what faith is, by the way. Your faith and your belief, those are the same thing, right? What you believe in, that is your faith. Okay, you can have all of the right beliefs. You can have perfect faith and still not be holy. You know, there are many things that I think are important for us to believe. Many things I think are absolutely essential for us to believe. The kind of things that Paul lays out in Ephesians 4, right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
Right? I think we have to believe in the literal death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I think we have to believe Jesus was the Messiah. I think we have to believe in the church as the outpost of the kingdom of God in the world like Danny was talking about earlier. I think those things we have to believe. You know, I think there's a lot of other stuff that we can disagree on while we're here on earth and still be brothers and sisters in the kingdom, Right? Okay, I was a part of a church one time that believed you couldn't eat in the building. Okay, Because there's a verse in Scripture that says you have homes to eat and drink in. So therefore, when you come together in the church building, you shouldn't eat. Okay, Literally, when the youth group would order pizza, they would eat it in the parking lot because you can't eat in the building. All right? Now, that church is a growing church. It is a thriving church in large part because they are really, really good at loving each other and taking care of each other. And so in spite of the fact that they've got some squirrely beliefs, I think God's doing great things through their church. Okay? Now, I think that eating in the building is part of what we're supposed to be doing, right? I grew up thinking fried chicken at a potluck was probably the sixth act of worship, right? I mean, that's... I, th- I thought there's got to be a command somewhere that says fried chicken and potlucks. I mean, I knew that that's part of what we do, okay? Okay, but even though we disagree on that, I think we're still brothers and sisters in the kingdom. All right, but I think part of what James is telling us in this text is even if you were absolutely right about everything, okay, if you had the absolute right beliefs about all of the essential stuff like the Jesus stuff and even all the controversial stuff that we argue over in our churches and all of the other things, if you had every single belief absolutely right, that still wouldn't make you holy unless that belief in following Jesus can change your life, right? They'll know we are Christians by our love. Okay? A good tree produces good fruit. Right? I care passionately about us believing right things, but if that doesn't lead us to actually following in the way of Jesus and living more like he did, then we can have some good intellectual exercises, uh, but we're largely wasting our time. Right? All right. Number three and finally. Anybody can choose faithful action. Anybody can choose faithful action. Uh, One of the keys to preaching is choosing illustrations, right? Choosing the right story uh, will either make or break a sermon, I, I, I largely believe. In fact, I think that most of you won't remember the three points I made from two weeks ago, Right? But if I tell a cute story about one of my kids that's acting like a terrorist okay, and it resonates with you, you're like, oh, that, that, you know, that, that was a good story. Okay, you'll remember my stories, right? Okay, I don't remember the points I made three weeks ago, right? Okay, but you remember the stories. It's the stories that will stick with you. I think that's why when Jesus teaches, largely what he does is he doesn't say these little phrases. He tells stories, Okay, once upon a time, there was a man who, once there was a guy throwing seed in a field, right? We remember the stories. I want you to notice in the last half of James chapter 2, he tells us two illustrations. He references two stories, and they couldn't be more different from each other, but they're both making the same point. Okay, starting in verse 20, he uses Abraham as an illustration of faith and action. He says, not only did Abraham believe God, but he followed through with it by actually taking his son Isaac and putting him on an altar in order to kill him. You see Abraham, it's his faith and his action, and they go together. Go therefore and do likewise, right? 
And whenever James uses Abraham as an example, everybody cheers. Okay, we all like Abraham. We name our kids Abraham. Okay, everybody likes Abraham. It would be like if I used a sermon illustration talking about Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or somebody like that. Everybody knows that's the good guy. We should be more like that, right? But then you notice what he does next. And it's his second illustration to highlight how faith and action work together. He chooses Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. A lot of kids, even to this day, are still named Abraham. How many girls are growing up with the name Rahab? Yeah, we don't do that. Okay, why? She was a Gentile, not really one of us. Okay, she was a prostitute. We don't want our kids to grow up and look like what Rahab did, right? Okay, but what's the point that James is using this for? Okay, I think that James uses this illustration quite intentionally. I think he wants us to see that it doesn't matter if you're Abraham who got to talk directly with God or if you're like Rahab who started out life as far away from God as you possibly could. He says what matters is that you become the kind of person who both believes in the God of Israel and then has the integrity to have your actions match that belief. It doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that you live the kind of life where your faith and your actions are working together to make you more like Jesus. Fair enough? All right. At this time in our service, we're going to sing some verses of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, this is a time for us as the church to be here for you. Uh, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And if we can pray with you or talk with you more about what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus, we would love as a church to be here to serve you. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.